Hello, welcome to Horror Court Trash Show, the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash the pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And welcome back to Original Versus Remake. And we say this every... No, actually, no. We'd have been lying if we said it last month it went fast since the one before, but fuck me. This month's gone very fast. Yeah, don't know where the time goes. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's all these good films we've been discussing. Not Ghost Can't Do It, the rest of them. <laughs> Uh, but we are revisiting a Master of Horror that we did a, a whole episode dedicated to a while ago. Um, another previous star of Original versus Remake, William Castle, when we did I Saw What You Did. Today we are discussing House on Haunted Hill. Yes. Yeah. Love William Castle. Um, really enjoyed that podcast episode we did dedicated to his work. Um, so this was an obvious choice, but we, of course, also love late 90s yes. horror. <laughs> well, I say we love, <laughs> we cover it a lot. Yeah, and this one ticks all the boxes that needs to be ticked for late 90s horror. Uh, and also continuing with our streak for this month, not Do you guys Do you think it does? Oh, God, yeah. I, I didn't think it was that meta. The remake. Um, yeah, maybe not so much the mess, I think, but the style. Um, yeah. The acting, the cast, the soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, that is, yes. The set pieces. It, you know, the set pieces weren't too dissimilar to The Haunting. Thankfully, this is a much better film than The Haunting yes. remake. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's also very Thirteen Ghosts remake as well. It's there's I mean I know the same production company, but the style's very similar. Um, but yeah, no. Uh, continuing with our good streak, not you, Ghost can't do it. Um, we are discussing two good films. Because this isn't a bad film. The remake. It's not a bad film. It's not a bad film. Um, it's of its time. Much to my surprise, I was expecting something dire. I well, I'd seen it when I was younger, and it must have been one of the the first films I rated on IMDb, and I gave it a four out of ten, which I think was a bit harsh, um to be fair, um, not that harsh, but I think it was a bit harsh. But had you watched that before you watched the original? Oh yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah, yeah, I had. Yeah, yeah it was interesting watching them back to back, but we'll get into that shortly. Yeah. Poll results. The original one with 70% and 30% of you voted for the remake. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, socials catch up. As if to- I totally paused on Instagram. So they've never seen Office Killer, but they remember it from the video shop and was never allowed to rent it. I remember House on Haunted Hill from Blockbusters. Yeah, I, I rented yeah, yeah, um, yeah. House on Haunted Hill from... Not from Blockbusters. From the... Um, random shop at the top of my road <laughs> back in the day that would just have a, a small selection of films to rent yeah on vhs um i'm sorry what was that name uh, as if i totally paused yeah um i suggest you now rent it yes um wait i mean well actually really treat yourself buy it buy it <laughs> um I mean, that's if you can get hold of it. It's, it's so I difficult it's, to get hold of. Yeah, I, d- I don't think there's any special editions out no. there, but there should be. Uh, Horror does on Instagram loves Office Killer and no and thinks no one has ever seen it. So she was glad to hear we were discussing it. Yeah, not enough people have seen it. No, absolutely. Uh, and and that is why we're here to spread the good word. 
A good word. Oh of, yes, that a good might, word of Cindy Sherman. Why we do this? And Carol Kane and Molly Ringwald. Uh, and Bo Derek. <laughs> maybe not. Uh, Andy from say podcast and die previous podcast guests uh, thinks Office Killer looks amazing. Again, you should absolutely watch it uh, and enjoys the House on Haunted Hill remake because Famke Janssen and Jeffrey Rush. Yes. Yes. Two best things about the film. That's very true. <laughs> Um, Michael Bazaro on Instagram, uh, says Ghost Can't Do It is one of the least funny comedies in existence and was glad we could even find one memorable clip to share on our socials. Um, it was, yeah, I think it was a challenge. I think we got two, didn't we? Yeah. Out of it. And that was really... Anthony Quinn... Picking... Um, Anthony Quinn making weird noises... Oh, that was the trailer. Yeah. <laughs> and Bo Derek giving a couple of slaps. And uh, the zoom-in gunshot. Yes. I, I managed to get that one. Well, let's be honest. In a film like Ghost Can't Do It, the most memorable stuff we're not allowed to put on <laughs> our socials. True. If you understand what um, I mean. <laughs> finally, Jiggy's Horror Corner on Twitter said the strip to kill finale is pretty wild. The film's not one of their favourites, but it can be rather fun at times. The finale is wild. I mean, whatever film are you going to see someone in drag doing a swing kick from a stripper's pole? Yeah, and I think films need more um, drag swing kicks from yeah. stripper poles. And knives bouncing off fake tits. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Again, Strip to Kill. You know we, all, we know we discussed it, and you know we highly recommend it. That is easier to find. It is on YouTube. But if you can find a way to pay for it, do it. Because let's support women in horror. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yes. That was a half-hearted <laughs> yes. Wow. <laughs> and of course, I'm not sure if Kat Sheard would benefit from it now. <laughs> I'm not sure with licenses and stuff. And and we have a, loads of random comments of just things like Great Firm and, you know, little things like that. I ain't going to read all that out. You don't need to hear that. But thank you and keep it coming. Uh, we are Horror Court Trash Over on Facebook and Instagram and Horror Court Trash on Twitter. So getting into this month's Original Versus Remake, starting with House on Haunted Hill. A horror masterpiece, a staple of the genre, released in 1959, directed by William Castle. You know what he directed, I don't need to tell you. We've discussed him enough times on this podcast, and we will discuss him again. <laughs> no doubt, because 13 Ghosts has to be done at some point. Uh-huh. Budget, $200,000. And, and we missed that Barbara Steinwink film when we did the episode on him, Nightwalkers. Yeah, no, you just like sprung that out of nowhere on me that time. I, I didn't know that it existed. I'm very until, excited to watch yeah. that. Might. I, yeah, I'd love to do a episode on exploitation. Yes, I think it could be done easily. Um, it made $2.5 million worldwide, and that brings me to the trivia, where the large grosses for this film were noticed by Alfred Hitchcock, and it led him to create Psycho. Yes. And then that led to William Castle to make homicidal. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just a, a constant trail of genius from that point. Um yeah, this I mean this film is is a work of genius. It is an absolute work of genius. I think it's lost on some modern audiences, uh judging from some modern reviews I've read on Letterboxd and such, but 
it's it's genius. There's no other word for it. This might be controversial, but I kind of see William Castle as the Kardashian of his day. Yeah. Kim Kardashian, uh, you know, the mum, Kris Jenner. The way that they're looked upon as dumb, mm. as um, hacks, yeah, as successful, but for all the wrong reasons. Yeah. I feel like that's maybe how William Castle was perceived back mm. in the day. His B-movies aren't, you know... We're not talking Bergman here. We're not no. talking grand, you know, epics. Um, we're talking cheapo B-flicks. Yeah. Um, that do what they need to do on a small budget. And people fucking love it. Yeah. And people loved it back then. They made money. Yeah. They're not, you know, they're not Oscar contenders. They're not, you know, they're not dealing with grand emotions and the human spirit and anything like that. No. But people fucking loved it. Yeah. And people buy, bought into it. Well, it's the same way the Kardashians now... You have to have a bit of intelligence to make as much money from these things. Do you understand? Yeah, yeah, what yeah. I mean? no, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you know, we all know William Castle is the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, and Hitchcock was Beverly Hills. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Salt Lake City's under the radar. No one knows a lot about it, but it managed to be really fun and entertaining. Whereas Beverly Hills, everyone knows about it, and it's you know. Fun and entertaining, just a, a little more intense. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I mean, we both just make comparisons that no one else has ever made to William Castle, so, I mean, there's well, that. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm, but I'm... also, the, the, seriously, the, the one comparison I was going to make, um, before I, you know, started being a silly bitch, um, is the way a lot of the seasoned veteran directors... Uh, bring down Marvel for being roller coaster films. So to call, I hate the fucking term, but you know, you know what's been said. William Castle made fucking roller coasters. Yeah, like actual, like fun, gimmicky films. Look how influential they are. Yeah, yeah, it's the quintessential sit down with a bag of popcorn. Mm. You don't really have to think too much. Yeah. You just go with the flow. They're not... Now, this is where Marvel differs. They're not long films. No, no. You can, you know, just watch a couple at a drive-in. Yeah. You know, quick finger blast, and you're gone. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You don't have to focus too <laughs> well, that's, much. That's probably also where Marvel differs. I mean, <laughs> kids could go see those. So you probably you can, do that you you can give a blowy... <laughs> And get back into the film. You haven't really missed too much that you don't understand what's going on. <laughs> so it's those kind of films. And they're popular. You, they're you're really missing, popular. You're missing one thing though. I mean, no one's going to get a quickie in the cinema with William Castle films because he installed fucking vibrating seats. He threw skeletons into the audience. If anything, you're more likely <laughs> to get a bit with vibrating seats. <laughs> well, I suppose. And we didn't use that in our William Castle episode. We saved no, it for it's the day. really. Do you know what? I I really feel like my 
my um, opinions on films have developed since then. Yeah, it would Apparently. be nice to go back and uh, <laughs> re- revisit some of our old podcast episodes. Yeah. I'm looking at you, Showgirls. Showgirls needs a revisit episode. Um, the opening scare trick was so effective that it actually started the ideas of novelty haunting records. Uh, records of spooky sounds, sound effects, and music that are most commonly used for Halloween, Halloween parties, and makeshift uh, haunted house attractions. Yeah, and the opening scene is fantastic. And it's just such a good idea. It's just such a really, really good idea. The fact that you're looking at a blank screen... And then out of nowhere, someone starts screaming. Like, that is just... That's a great jump scare. Mm. It's stupid as fuck, but it's, it's great. Yeah. It, it's... You know, this is... It's hokey. Yeah. It's... it's high camp. It, it is camp. Yeah. It's... And, and it is... It probably not as much back in 1959. I, I imagine audiences lost their fucking shit oh, yeah. over yeah. this film. We didn't, because... It, oh, a lot of it looks very cheap. I don't know. Some of it is still quite creepy. I mean, like the old lady on roller skates. That shit's scary. When you watch it in the right movie. Yeah, she's well, very creepy. This is the first time we've watched it not in October, in Halloween time. The first time Everything I watched it... Everything scary around Halloween time? Well, yeah. I mean, first time I watched it, I made me jump. I, I, I mean, I knew that scene was coming somewhere, but I didn't know it was happening there. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really good jump scare. A uh, skeleton that rises from the vat of acid is a real-life human skeleton. Like most movies, it's simply faster and cheaper to buy a real human skeleton from a biological supply house than having one created by the special effects department. Do with that information what you will. Even cheaper if you uh, rob a grave. <laughs> I, could, I could picture William Castle robbing a grave, just casually. Mm-hmm. Some of the uh, Emergo equipment still exists and it's been resurrected for use during special showings of the films. Which one's this then? The skeleton uh, flying down. Oh, okay. The audience. Yeah. Um, although this is one of Allied Artists' most profitable films of that period, it fell into the public domain. Despite the widespread availability on home video, the current 2018 holder of the Allied Artists Library, Warner Brothers, Still receives bookings for 35mm release prints. Yeah, that's where you get a really sexy colourised version. Yes. Sadly, yeah. I mean, some of the greats have all had this happen. You know, Carnival of Souls, Night of the Living Dead. Some some real classics. Casablanca, for fuck's Is sake. Is Casablanca in public domain? Oh, no, I meant uh, colourised. Oh, no, no, I'm on public domain. No, not public domain. Um... I mean, yeah, it, it's it's crazy how just one mistake. Charade with um, Audrey Hepburn. Yeah, that's for some reason is in the public domain, and that was from the sixties. It goes to show. I mean, with Night of the Living Dead, it was it was just a mistake on some paperwork. Yeah, and yeah, then it ended up in public domain. Um, yeah, and it's like you say, it just ends up being that film that it's it's always going to be one of a few films that are going to show up. In the background in another horror film, they're going to get loads of colourised versions. Yeah. Thrown into random box sets here, there and everywhere. Um, you kind of forget how much of a classic it is when all that stuff happens. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, Like, for true. me, when I was younger, I, I never bothered watching Night of the Living Dead for years. Because I saw it everywhere. I thought, oh, that's, you know, what's so special about this? You can get it anywhere. It's... Um, there's a thousand different versions and it, the cases looked so cheap and tacky. 
Um, it just didn't look like a big deal until I started reading about horror films more. And then I watched and I was like, oh shit, this is what's been readily available for me all this time. Yeah, very sadly for me, and I'm still not quite over it, is the first time I watched Night of Living Dead was in a box set. Yeah, don't worry, it's the same for me. The other two. <laughs> and it was the version with that random tacked on <laughs> part Pre- with the preacher. priest. It was a preacher, weren't it? it was... A preacher or whatever. <laughs> ever. Um, yeah, was that from like the late 90s? Yeah. Fucking awful. Yeah. Truly awful. And the thing is, because the, the jump in quality and look, you know, it looked mm. like those scenes looked like from the 90s, um, I knew that the version I was watching, I was like, this isn't, what, what fucking film is this? Yeah. What's going on here? Yeah, I had to stop it after through that one and just watch, find the other version because it was dire. Yeah. I, di- I didn't realise it was in the public domain. Yeah. Back, back a million years ago. Um, when I watched it, you can, you wouldn't download films from the internet or anything like that. It wasn't YouTube or anything. So I was kind of stuck with that shite version. Uh, William Castle related the story of meeting Vincent Price on the day when Price had learned that he had been passed over for a part. Over coffee, Castle described the premise of this picture and Price liked the idea and it led to a poo that... Excuse me. <laughs> Do not get two and picture mixed up. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> it led to Flushed a after. <laughs> led to a two-picture collaboration. I'm not even going to edit that out. It led to a two-picture collaboration. Uh, this and the <laughs> equally amazing The Tingler. That is a fun film. Is Tingler the same year then? Uh, yeah, it was, yeah. Tingler's colour. Um... I don't... Why? Was it? No, 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 no. Partially. Was it? It's partially colour. Um, that weird acidy trip scene. Oh, yes. Yeah, well, that's the most memorable yeah. part. Oh, not the tingler being unleashed on the uh, on the cinema? No. <laughs> it was an acid trip part. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, Vincent Price having an acid trip. Well, exactly. Do we need to say any more? <laughs> Yeah, no, exactly. Um, yeah, interesting. So I'm assuming this is the first film William Castle did with Vincent Price. Yes, yeah. Which is weird because they're quite synonymous with each other, aren't they? Yeah. Um, I don't know what Vincent Price did before. Well, we watched him in uh, Laura, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Yeah. But as a, as a horror icon, mm. is this his first sort of horror film? I don't think so. I kind of feel like Vincent Price was in every fucking horror film of the, the 40s and the 50s. Well, I'm being, I, I don't know if we describe it as unprofessional, um, but I'll just give a quick nose right now. He's been in a lot of films. Yeah. He's been in a lot of films. Um, but he was, in Laura, he was almost sort of playing a handsome almost leading man. Yeah, and... Kind of. Well, he considers that film to be his best role. In Laura? Yeah. Yeah, it's probably his meatiest role. Yeah. Um, he was in The Private Lives of Elizabeth and Essex as Walter Raleigh, um, the Errol Flynn mm-hmm. Betty Davis film. Um, he was he was in The Invisible Man Returns. Oh, okay. Was that his first horror mm-hmm. film? Yeah, but then he was in stuff like The Song of Bernadette, Laura... Leave Her to Heaven. 
mm-hmm. a Dragon Wick. Um, so these are these aren't horror films. Um, he was in Bud Abbott and Lucas Dello meet Frankenstein. <laughs> well, there we go. So, um, but I think really, it's not until uh, House of Wax. Of course, yeah, it's yeah. Not until House yeah. of Wax really, that he does a proper, and then he does the Mad Magician. Um, and then a few like normal normal yeah. films, including the Ten Commandments in between. I mean, we all know his best role. It's absolutely Witchfinder General. Yeah, no, yeah, definitely. Oh, this is the year after The Fly as well. Oh, yeah. So with The yeah. Fly, House on Haunt Hill, The Tingler, The Bats, yeah, Linda's, uh, Edgar Allan Poe, series of films. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, horror icon. Yeah, no, absolutely. We could probably do... I almost did an episode on him <laughs> just then. Uh, but we could absolutely do an episode on Vincent Price. Yeah. Speaking of horror icons, Cassandra Peterson, Elvira Mistress of the Dark herself, uh, once said on Larry King Live that this is her favourite horror film. Very on brand. Yeah. For, for her. Didn't we watched a... She did an introduction, didn't she? She did. Um, for Shudder. Yeah. Uh, so we watched Halloween, and that's when we watched it. Yeah. The Brilliant. opening uh, was something of a jump scare gimmick. The total darkness accompanied by horrible noises echoing in a large film theatre would have been terrifying in those days. The effect most likely has lost the modern viewers watching a film on a smaller television screen without the theatrical sound system volume and near total darkness. Yeah, because, like I said, it's very effective, but... Not as effective as if you were watching it in 1959 in a pitch black cinema. Yeah. No idea when the film's going to start. Yeah. Alan Marshall, who plays the elegant Englishman amongst the group, uh, hoping to survive a single night in Hill House, had uh, been a popular supporting actor in the 1930s. With prominent roles opposite Greta Garbo in uh, Mary Waluska. Waluska? Uh, Charles and Charles Lawton in Hunchback of Notre Dame. His life ended dramatically when he died on stage playing one of Mae West's multiple husbands during a live performance of her play, Sexta. Oh my god. Yeah, how's that for trivia? Wow. Um, absolutely a future oh, podcast it is. film, it Sexta. Is. I think I may have actually scheduled it in. I forgot that was a, um, I forgot that was a um, stage show before it was... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, bless him. I mean... What a way to go. What a way to go. What a way to go. I wonder what I wonder which husband... Yeah, I was going to say, I wonder which husband. (laughs) Um, Bless him. We're not even going to say any more about sex. Who's the the English guy in this film, by the way? Am I... What was his name? So, uh, his name is Alan Marshall... So he oh, plays... Oh, uh, yeah, Dr. David, David Trent. Trent. Yeah. yeah, okay. The one who doesn't do a lot. Well, he does, really. I mean, he's, he's part a big part of it. Yeah, but, but he doesn't really do much. The, the party it. guests in these films... I mean, I gave the original five stars, but I, the, the party guests in both of these films are fucking useless. Like, <laughs> the, 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 we all know who we're watching in these films. The women and Vincent Price. Yeah. Yeah. Um, included amongst American Film Institute's 2001 list of 400 films nominated for the top 100 most heart-pounding American movies. We're making our way through that list really well. You know, we've discussed loads of films from it. 
Yeah, there was a lot of numbers, so it didn't make the list of films. It was nominated for it. It was nominated. Yeah, we always seem to discuss the films that were nominated for it. Ah. The main image in the display advertising showed a woman hanging from a noose with the other end of the rope uh, held aloft by a gigantic grinning skeleton. It also included an image of Vincent Price holding a woman's decapitated head by the hair. In 1959, some newspapers judged the image too gruesome for publication. Exhibitors were encouraged to play this up um, that the movie was so frightening that even the ads couldn't be shown. Yeah, um, amazing posters, both of those. I love, love, love those old school um, hand-drawn posters. Yeah. I really do. It is one thing that maybe rolled it better in the old day is posters. Yeah. Now that we get some good ones now, but I feel like a lot of them are very clean. Yeah, yeah. Um, they go for like minimalism, or it's they're very repetitive. Yeah, they tend to look very similar. Um, I do. I love a good hand painted uh, movie poster. Or have you seen the ones, the Polish ones? I mean, have you seen the Japanese ones? Yeah, Japanese. Like, Japanese I've, posters. Then again, great. I think even to this day, I think even the Japanese posters are probably still amazing. Yeah, yeah. But the old school Polish ones are just yeah. so like out there and like quite abstract. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you're like, what even film is this? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah they're great, they are. A body count two. Two. Just two. Two. So that brings me to House on Haunted Hill, nineteen ninety nine, directed by William Malone. Uh, uh, absolutely not a body count of two. <laughs> yeah, there is. No, in nineteen ninety nine. Oh no! Yeah, okay, I was going to say this film absolutely does not. <laughs> no, because it's a remake. Yes. From the late nineties. More is more. D- more is more. Um, directed, I like it. Directed by William Malone, the genius behind Scared to Death. Fear.com, Parasomnia, Episodes of Freddy's Nightmares, Masters of Horror, Tales from the Crypt, Sleepwalkers, and more. Um, Yeah, I I don't know how the director of Fear.com managed to make something as good as this. Because if you've seen Fear.com, it's uh, a long way away from this. (laughs) It's it's awful. Yeah, I think it's interesting to point out the producers. Yeah. Of this. Yes. One of them being uh, Robert Zemeckis. Yeah. Um, so maybe maybe they had a little helping hand. I think so. In things. Budget of $37 million and it made $42.5 million worldwide. That's not good. That's not good for uh, a horror film in 1999. It's not great, ladies. Uh, Jeffrey Rush was never meant to look like Vincent Price. Uh, the original screenplay describes Stephen what, Price... What, in life or in the film? Wow, well, in the film. The original screenplay describes Stephen Price as a regular-looking businessman. Rush didn't care for this, so he suggested that his character look like <laughs> iconic director John Waters. Uh, the director agreed to test this look out, and after the transformation, he ended up looking so much like Vincent Price that the director decided to keep the look. Yeah, um, spot-on moustache. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, no one has that moustache apart from John Waters. So yeah. straight away, you get the reference. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that alone is just amazing. The fact that he wanted to look like John Waters. That's already mm. a positive going for the film. 
William Malone got the idea to set the film in a former insane asylum when he was filming an episode of Tales from the Crypt in a former asylum and noticed that crew members were running scared out of the basement not wanting to film there. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, how many fucking horror films have been know, set yeah. in asylums? <laughs> so, okay. Uh, this film and 13 Ghosts were Dark Castle Entertainment's first films and a remake and remix obviously of William Castle's films of the same name. Uh, the studio took its name from him. I believe their plan was to just remake his films initially. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I only got as far as two, so I'm going to assume 13 Ghosts didn't make a lot of money. Was Dark Castle... Is it still going? I think so. I don't think it makes many films. Um, Did they not remake Zardoz? Zardoz? What's Zardoz? No, it's not Zardoz. The Sean Connery film. Oh, shit. No, it's the... Which <laughs> Zots. One? Zots. No. Zots. Sadly not. I'd love to see a remake of 13 Frightened Girls. Um, put it in the hands of A24. <laughs> yeah, with less questionable um, <laughs> representation. Yeah. The roller coaster in the beginning of the film... A24? Yeah, now imagine if they did it like uh, the Bling Ring and Spring Breakers. <laughs> 13 Frightened Girls. That would be disappointing. <laughs> oh, that's a different the, conversation. The roller coaster in the beginning of the film is the Incredible Hulk at Universal's Islands of Adventure in Orlando, Florida. Um, I believe it's still standing to this day. Yeah? Yeah? Yeah. Yeah? <laughs> I'd very much like to go on it. Well, it, is, it's, it was bright green, wasn't oh, it? Oh, it's so obvious. That it was the Incredible so Hulk coaster. They really didn't try and describe it, uh, descri- disguise it much. Um, Marilyn Manson was considered for the role of Dr. Vanicoot. Um, yeah, I could imagine that. Yeah, glad it never happened. Really? It wasn't the biggest role. Just fucking Jeffrey Combs. It would have, yeah, well... <laughs> Any chance he's alright in this one. He's not the most consistent of actors. You can see in his face, he's still he's still got that Jeffrey Cohn's isms about him. Like he's, yeah. he's still like, oh, I'm 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 taking this seriously. I'm Jeffrey Cohn's. Um, co-producer Terry Castle is the daughter of William Castle. Good for her. Yeah. Nice. Elizabeth Hurley was considered for the role of Evelyn. Now that would have worked. Which one was Evelyn? Uh, Famke Janssen. Uh, yeah, that would have worked. Yes. Although, Famke Janssen in this film, this isn't far from being my favourite role of hers, and I love X-Men, but, oh my god, she absolutely slays every scene she is in, in this film. It's a good role. It, it's, it's a, she it's is just so role. fun to watch. This wouldn't be the film it, it was if it weren't for her. And Jeffrey Rush. I was going to say... Uh, co-producer, I've told you that already, Cindy Crawford was considered for the role of Melissa. Okay, which one was Melissa? Melissa's the camcorder one. Oh, M- Melissa Mart, celebrity. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, that would have worked as well. Yeah. I, I love Cindy Crawford. I think she's one of the true beauties. In the original script, Melissa Mar, celebrity, had more dialogue than she did in the final script. In the final script, some of her lines went to Sarah Wolf, played by Ali Larter. I did feel a bit like she was something was cut from yeah. her. Um, Bridget Wilson, you know, she was a known actress at the time, and I did feel like the part was really, really small. It was. 
definitely felt underused. Um, Ali Lata was maybe used a little too much. Her performance isn't the best. It's a little shaky. Beautiful girl, <laughs> but she struggled. Yeah. Good old Claire Rivers from Claire Final Rivers. Destination. Who, what was her name in Legally Blonde? Oh, bugger. That's a weird name. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's why it stands out so it's so memorable. <laughs> William Malone wrote over twenty percent of the film's final screenplay, though he ultimately didn't get a writing credit. Why? I have no idea. Oh. The trivia didn't want to go that far. That's half an interesting fact. <laughs> Warner Brothers and Dark Castle Entertainment, uh, in an homage to the marketing gimmicks of William Castle, promoted this film by providing film f- film theaters with scratch off tickets. That would be given to movie patrons. The scratch-off ticket would give each customer a chance to win prize money, just like the characters in the film. The cash prizes totaled in $1 million, and this included rentals from Blockbuster Video. Warner had intended to continue featuring such gimmicks for any further William Castle remakes, and 13 Ghosts was originally supposed to be in 3D, but plans were abandoned, probably because of the budget and how much this film made. So they gave him scratch cards. Yeah, we could win a million dollars and Blockbuster prizes. Nice. They should do that more. Blockbuster must have had a hand in this film. I mean, with that and the little... uh, There's a very obvious (laughs) product placement. (laughs) Yes. Um, I mean, that's cool. I I doubt the million dollars existed. Um, (laughs) Well, I suppose that would have been part of the film's budget. Yeah. Um... If yeah, it did, then I, wish, I do maybe wish we one had, person. I wish they were more gimmicky. These it's like Happy Meals. You don't get toys in Happy Meals anymore. Do you not? No, no. As far as I'm, I know. Have you brought Happy Meal in a while? No, I haven't. Or maybe you do then. <laughs> um, maybe I'm thinking toys and cereals. No, they used to advertise the shit out of Happy Meal toys. Um, it, it was always a massive deal, whenever a new film was out. Um, yeah, no, it's it's. Yeah, it's it's an element of fun that's gone. Um, the good old days. The good old days. Uh, you know, it was only a few episodes ago I was talking about Spy Kids 3D with the red and blue glasses. Um, you know, shit like that. It's just, it's a lot of fun. Um, yeah, no, no one bothers anymore. No, no. No, I suppose not. And except for when we went and seen Pink Flamingos, of course. Yeah, but that's... And we were eating shit. Yeah, but that's not... <laughs> That's not, you know, big studios doing this no, rolling it out. Not. I, I just, yeah. Although, it is the 50th anniversary this year, so... <laughs> you never know. But I mean, in terms of, like, even like premieres don't seem that exciting anymore. No, no. I, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm just getting old. I mean, it might be because, you know, we follow most of film Twitter and even I got invited to a fucking premiere screening of Cyrano. <laughs> so, I mean, maybe that's why it feels less of a big deal to us. So, But no, I, I, when I, what I'm kind of talking about is that when a big film came out, it was a big deal. And you yeah, would get yeah, your Happy yeah. Meal and you would get, you know, trading cards and you would get cereals with the toys in and you would get the adverts you'd get your special cup yeah from yeah. mcdonald's no, absolutely. and it would be you know the shittest film but they'd make a huge deal <laughs> yeah. of it yeah. and it's very 
you know, I went to see Phantom Menace mm. the day it came out and got a certificate. Yeah. To say, you know, you watched The Phantom Menace on the very first day. I suppose it's done in small doses now. I mean, you know, we've had Batman Oreos. Uh, that is true. Scream cereal. Strawberries and Scream. Oh, is that from? B&M. No. Yeah. Loads of people have had that on Instagram. Are you serious? Yes. Why have we not got I have no idea. Because I don't know what B&M is. It's in Manchester. I know, I know <laughs> Funko's do yeah, this, this, cereals and stuff. But yeah. I, I mean nationwide. Yeah, yeah. No, there's Scream stuff cereal. Stuff my mum could pick up at the supermarket. Yeah. You know, like they did back in the day. Yeah, no. So that, Cheese. I mean, cheesy, you know, ridiculous films like Batman Forever. Where you couldn't <laughs> go anywhere without seeing... Jim Carrey is the Riddler. Yeah. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. Um, yeah. It's just in really small doses now. Um, which is a shame. It is a shame. Um, but if anyone ever, you know, if, if everyone starts making, starts remaking William Castle films again, then, uh, you know, you never know. I do apologise. It's <laughs> two old knobheads oh, reminiscing. Our own little things from it's better in our back day. Back in our day, we had cool stuff. We had... Jar Jar Binks sticking his tongue out and throwing it against you throw it against the wall. I had packets that. of crisps. Oh my god, I love that. <laughs> oh, I can tell when like I had Star Wars Tazos. Yeah. Is that what they were called? And like pogs and shit like that, you know. <laughs> you don't really get you get Funkos, but you can't really do much with a Funko. Uh, we are in a room surrounded by you fucking serious I do really like them but they are for display purposes only you can't play with them <laughs> what the fuck <laughs> Jesus why would you want to play with them but, but for kids I mean a kid, a kid would want a toy to play with I'm sitting next to a Funko Pop of uh, Anthony Perkins and Drac from Psycho what fucking kid would want that? <laughs> yeah, but you also sat across from your Marvel ones. Yeah. Kids would want to play with yeah. the Marvel ones, wouldn't they? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you, you talk well, no, about... They would. It's, yeah, no, of course. You, you talk about films being a, a big deal and big premieres, you know, bringing it back to Marvel, they're probably the closest you can get to that because cinemas are willing to give midnight screenings to bigger films like that. Um, and when we went and saw Spider-Man, that felt like... A massive deal. Yeah. Maybe you know, it's That different. felt like a film premiere with a big deal. Maybe it's different because we're older and it all felt a little different <laughs> when we were kids. Speak for yourself. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> well, you know, I felt like a kid again when I went to see Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. Um, it says more about you than it does Spider-Man. Um, but maybe, it's, maybe we're just looking at it from a different angle now and kids these days do look at Marvel the same way we looked at Ninja Turtles. Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. We just see the side where people on Twitter moan about it. I know, yeah. We see the adult side of it. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. I mean, something like Eternals, I really hope that feels like a big deal to kids because it's really important and it should be. The gay representation I'm, I'm referring to. Oh, um, not, not the... Um... Like Lister sex scene, not so much. No, well, that would have felt really uh, risque. Incredibly as a kid. uncomfortable. <laughs> you know? I remember the one in Daredevil watching that as an eleven-year-old. I was like, oh, oh my, I shouldn't be watching this. 
<laughs> just see Ben Affleck's shoulders. Uh, anyway, that boomer tangent is over. Uh, back to the episode. Excuse me. <laughs> Millennials. Sorry. Uh, When creating the black evil that attacks the surviving cast at the end of the film, the animators used images of nude women. They took film of nude women dancing, mirrored the image, and then repeated that image hundreds of times at different sizes to make the spidery shape that you see in the finished film. If you pause the DVD and look closely, you can see some boobies. (gasps) Oh! What a weird idea. That's some... Book of Shadows, Blair Witch 2 shit right there. Um, <laughs> yeah. It, the, the film ups the ante on CGI. violence, CGI, and nudity. Um, so they might as well just make some shit out of nude women's yeah. bodies. It's, it's quite on brand. Oh my god, speaking of gimmicks and shit, do you remember when we had to watch the uh, end credits of Book of Shadows, Blair Witch 2 backwards? So we could see, like, a twist reveal for the film. <laughs> oh, yeah. What even was that? <laughs> no, it was like of shit. That's what it was. Um, the original shooting script had an alternate ending where Stephen Price had died from the darkness atop the staircase instead of Pritchett, and Eddie dies saving Sarah from the darkness instead of Pritchett. Uh, when Pritchett and Sarah make it outside, they are eventually found by the cleaning crew. This is a new segment of the TV series Terrifying But True, about the events of House on Haunted Hill, where Sarah is taken to an ambulance to have her injured feet tended to, and Pritchett is interviewed by the police while paramedics take out various body bags filled with Melissa's uh, severed body parts. Okay. Yeah, well, I mean, it wasn't really necessary, so... Seems a little much, isn't it? The original shooting script had Christopher Lee as the host of Terrifying But True. Um... Yeah, Peter Graves is the host in the actual film itself. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it took me a while to realise what you were talking about. Would have been cool to have Christopher Lee doing that. He would have. Um, Peter Graves, I like, anyway. So. Yeah. Body count six, not counting the flashback massacre. Not counting the flashback <laughs> massacre. Yeah, there's a, a few more in that. And uh, several scenes were cut from the film due to pacing and other issues. Uh, some have been released as bonus content on the DVD and Blu-ray including Sarah arguing on a film set with her obnoxious film producer, uh, the real Jennifer Jensen, played by Debbie Mazar. No, no idea. And discover- what does that even mean? You know, she pretends she's Jennifer Jensen, doesn't she? Does she? Yeah, she pretends she's another character when she shows up, Ali Lata. Oh. And then she reveals down the line she's not, she's Sarah. Oh. Yeah. Wow, okay. How did you miss that? That's a massive plot point. Maybe I misunderstood. <laughs> oh dear. Well, lucky I'm reading that one out then. I know. Um, and discovering the invitation to the party in uh, Price's Strange Art Deco Music Puzzle Box, which he sent to her sister. Eddie rescuing Sarah from Dr. Vanakoot's corpse pit after the floor beneath them collapses. Uh, the exclusion of the scene caused a continuity error uh, as the ghost in the pit yanked off Sarah's overcoat, which is why it suddenly disappears in, disappears in the final cut. And an epilogue featuring Mazar's Jennifer uh, and a real estate agent, Dick, played by Jeffrey Combs. That's an interesting uh, name. <laughs> arriving at the house after the events of the film to look around. Uh, okay. Again, none of those scenes would have really made much difference. Apart from the one where we get to see her coat pulled off because... It just disappears in the film. So, let's get into the films. 
Yes, House on Haunted Hill, 1959. Uh, Frederick Lauren. Lauren? Lauren? Lauren. Lauren? Like Sophia Lauren, I'm yeah. going to pronounce it. Lauren. Played by Vincent Price. An eccentric millionaire invites five people to a party he's throwing for his fourth wife, Annabelle. Played by uh, Carol Omart. Um, looking very much like Barbara Stanwyck. Uh-huh. She's definitely given Barbara oh, yeah. Stanwyck. In an allegedly haunted house, he is rented, promising to give each $10,000 with the stipulation that they stay the entire night in the house after the doors are locked at midnight. Um, so, as Gary mentioned, we start with that screen yeah. in the pitch black. Uh, that we then get the head of Watson Pritchard, mm-hmm. um, an incredibly annoying gentleman, uh, <laughs> who tells us about the haunted house and his dead brother. Uh, He owns the house and almost died one time he stayed over. Um, Yeah, very over the top. (laughs) What do you think to his performance? I've got it in my notes for characters, but I'll say it now. He is absolutely the Clint Howard of 1959. He's very, he's definitely giving (laughs) Clint Howard. And we love a bit Clint Howard. He he should have been played by Clint Howard in the remake. Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, We then get the head of Frederick, who tells us about his plans for the evening and spills the tea on each of the guests as they arrive via hearse. Yeah, this is great. Um, this is really, really good because it sets up the film perfectly. Especially means this is just, you know, a uh, it's, it's a really fun film to throw on at Halloween where, you know, you maybe don't have to think too much about it. Because this basically just sets everything up for you within minutes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, it's, the tour around the house, the floating heads explaining the plot. It's not the most complicated plot. Um, and it gets that out of the way. Yeah. And, you know, a floating Vincent Price head. Yeah. You know, come on. Great imagery. So uh, he spills the tea and he lets us know that the guests are test pilot Lance Schroeder, played by Richard Long. Newspaper columnist Ruth Bridges, played by Julie Mitchum. Psychiatrist, Dr. David Trent, played by Alan Marshall. Um, He specialises in hysteria. Nora Manning, played by Carolyn Craig. Uh, She works for one of the Lawrence companies. Lorenz companies. I I went against the thing that I said I was going to do. And the house's owner, who we were introduced to earlier, Watson Pritchard, played by Alicia Alicia Crock? Cook. Oh, Cook, excuse me. It's the Alicia that I thought I had the issue with, but it turns out it was the Cook part. Um, Anyway, all of the strangers... All are strangers to both the Lorenz and each other, with with their only commonality being their lust for money. It's true. Um, So they arrive at the house, and they have a nice little gossip, don't they? Yeah. Um, so they're a bit shady, particularly about Frederick and his four marriages. Um, they explain that none of them have met Frederick in person, um, but they do discuss his finances as well. So, um, he's good for the $10,000 each if they stay the night. So they trust him, which they probably shouldn't do. Uh, the Lorenz have a tense relationship since Frederick is convinced Annabelle tried to poison him in order to acquire his wealth, which Annabelle somewhat evasively denies, attributing his suspicions to paranoia and jealousy. 
Um, I mean, it's high camp, isn't it? Oh, it is. High camp. Um, it's Vincent hard to believe. Price. Now, Vince, now, I don't want to be... Um, I don't want to assume anything about his private life. Um, but Vincent Price is camp. I'm sure it was confirmed in documentaries that he was either gay or bisexual. Well... You'll be the one getting sued. Um, no, we lit. I swear, we literally watched a documentary that said it. Okay, then now they might get sued. <laughs> I mean, don't quote me on it, but he may have been a homosexual or bisexual. It is difficult to believe they're in a couple. Real life. It, it looks like <laughs> it doesn't like she's his best duty. Well, she's <laughs> she's a glamour model, and Vincent Price is Vincent Price. Mm-hmm. Um. So it's always kind of hard to... Um, just to let you know... Yes. Um, Victoria Price is a lesbian queen, and Vincent Price told her of his intimate relationships with men. Okay. So there, there we, go. we go. Famous by people, Vincent Price. Lovely. So Vincent Price is camp, and he's camp in this film. And his wife, Annabelle, is also camp. Yeah. So when they're shady to each other... <laughs> It's um, it's like a reading challenge. It's like a reading challenge. <laughs> it's usually, but the thing is, it's usually about who tried to kill who, mm-hmm. who's going to murder who, and uh, who's going to survive the night. So it's like untucked then instead. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, Frederick says, "Of all my wives, you're the least agreeable." <laughs> to which Annabelle replies, "And the only one alive." <laughs> Um, Annabelle doesn't feel like joining the party. No. Um, it's in her honour, but um, she can't be asked, really. She's not getting involved. No, she's not getting involved. She's not getting involved. And uh, so Watson gives a tour of the house, including a vat of acid in the basement, which was used by a previous resident to kill his wife, apparently. This Watson, he fucking goes on, doesn't he? <laughs> Bloody hell. He won't shut up about these ghosts and murders in this fucking house. Um, you can absolutely see how this has influenced the modern um, horror walks. Yeah. Um, how would you? How are we describing them? The, the Universal Studios ones. Yes. Yeah. And um, the haunted houses. Pasha del Terror. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and that. Pashal del Terror. <laughs> Pasash del Terror. That's what I said. You said Pashal. I never said Pashal. Who's Pashal? <laughs> Went school though. I went school though. <laughs> Anyway, what was I saying? Yeah, you can absolutely see how this influenced that. Yeah. Um, so, when Lance and Nora remain behind to further explore the basement, Lance is locked in an empty room and struck on the head while Nora is confronted by a menacing ghost. Um, you can see there's a mutual attraction between the two as they explore, can't you? Yes. Um uh, well, you don't quite get a love story. No, not really. But it's 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 potentially there. Uh, Nora explains that she needs the money after an automobile accident left her as the sole worker in the family. Um, I'm assuming that's just for sympathy reasons, because nothing really comes to that. <laughs> uh, it's a bit of ba- it's probably more backstory than the others get. Yeah. Um, so the guests gather as Lance's head is bandaged. And Watson continues to drone on about ghosts, murder, and leaving the house. But no one really gives a shit what he <laughs> thinks. 
At least in the room, I kept decency to try and leave the house. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I want. I, I'll say this now. It's this film emphasizes the fact that everyone needs the money. Yeah. And that's why they're there. It's very much a case of, um, they're desperate for ten thousand yeah. dollars. That doesn't come across in the remake. No. Necessarily. Um, yeah, Lance and Nora go back to the basement and Nora sees the infamous ghost hag who is <laughs> wheeled off screen. Now, you described her as... Roller skates. Roller skates. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a little hokey, um, but it's a great shot when uh, this hag and she's got... Yeah. She's got her hands up and uh, Nora's screaming in her face. It's just so unexpected. I mm. mean, you know, it's the way she walks back and then she's there. Um, it, it, it really, really got me the first time I watched her. And it doesn't have any big... It doesn't have the jump scare noise. It doesn't have anything there. It's just the visual. Yeah. It's, well, it it's, has the scream. It's Nora's scream. It's when she's screaming. Yeah, but there's like that second before where yeah. she doesn't realise. And it's a really creepy... Face, yeah, but that's probably I, her, the actress's actual face. I was gonna say, but if I mean, well, I mean, that's the point, isn't it? Um, Annabelle privately warns Lance that her husband is scheming something and that she suspects him of murdering his second and third wives, um, after his first wife disappeared. Uh, she also warns Nora to not go sneaking around the house either. Uh, Frederick and Annabelle have a shade off. Until Frederick pulls her hair and forces her to join the party. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nora finds a decapitated head in a box within her room. And she's grabbed by a much older man around the mouth. He warns her that she's unsafe there, but she runs off to the others. Um, it's then revealed that the hag and the, gra- the guy who grabbed her... Are uh, two extremely <laughs> creepy looking caretakers. <laughs> Why was she doing that? Why was she doing the skate thing? <laughs> like, I, the guy, yes, I understand, grabbed her, you know, warning her, yeah. But what was she up to? I mean, they say what? she's blind. That's not what blind people do. They don't just randomly jump up and scare you. No. What the fuck? And, like, Skate off. I mean, it's... She's Was her husband pulling her along on a skateboard? <laughs> yeah. But... It's like the first time you see her as well, because the, the, the moment where she's behind Nora isn't the first time you see her. It's the moment where she's in the doorway, and she yes, comes forward, and but then... she's more silhouetted then, isn't <laughs> yeah, she? Yeah, but she comes forward, and then goes back again. Again, yeah. why are you doing this? <laughs> Gathering downstairs, the guests are told the rules of the party... And each is given a Colt model 1903 pocket hammer for protection. Um, now, that's taken straight from Wikipedia. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not that familiar with guns. Um, but it, it is a gun. Even a pocket hammer is a gun. Anyway, I just thought, I just, <laughs> I just thought that was funny, so I kept it in my notes. Um, Dr. Trent is not a fan of the guns. That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> Then, having encountered further apparitions, Nora decides against staying the night, but the caretakers lock the doors five minutes early, taking that option out of the guests' hands. 
absolutely fuming. Yeah. Nora takes everyone to see the decapitated head she saw in her room earlier. This is the best thing. Oh, you want to see the head? I'll show you the head. <laughs> she just starts shouting about this fucking head. It's great. <laughs> Popular girl. Um, well, all she does over the night is scream, so... <laughs> it's true. Scream and give hand. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um... My absolute favourite line of the film comes from uh, Dr. Trent, who says, Nora, I think you're a little upset. Would you care for a sedative? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, Then uh, Dr. Trent believes Nora is being picked on for Frederick's scare tactics as she's an easy target. Lance goes to check on Nora, but she's not there. The decapitated head is there, though, and Lance confronts Watson with it as Watson holds a large knife and suggests the ghosts have gotten her. Again. (laughs) Uh, Hearing a scream, Lance and David find Annabelle's corpse suspended to suggest she hanged herself, but the absence of a perch immediately arouses suspicions of murder. Um, So, yeah, poor Annabelle. She's gone very early. Uh, Lance is confronted by Nora, who tells him an unseen assailant strangled her and left her for dead. In light of Annabelle's warnings, they both suspect Frederick. He tells her to remain out of sight so that her attacker will still think she's dead. That's Nora. Did I miss something there? No. Oh, okay. Uh, Frederick goes to see Annabelle's corpse and continues to read her for being cold. (laughs) Even after death, he's still (laughs) reading her to filth. Uh, to survive the night, Lance and David propose that everyone stay in their rooms and shoot anyone who enters. Thus, the innocents will have no reason to leave their rooms and the killer must stay put or admit his mm-hmm. or her guilt. Uh, Watson, again, being the dreary, paranoid man he is, says, What's the use in saying good night? <laughs> He's really getting on my fucking nerves. Uh, Everyone retires to their rooms apart from Lance, who after visiting Nora and promising he'll be back for her, seemingly finds a hidden door. Very Scooby-Doo. Yeah. Very, very Scooby-Doo. Accidentally finding some hidden trap door. Uh, Nora is chased from her room into the basement by Annabelle's ghost. Now, this is probably my favourite shot of the film. Mm-hmm. Annabelle at the window. Yeah. She's got the noose around her neck. The rope goes into... And I don't know how this was set. It's never explained, is mm-hmm. it, how this is no. set up? Because, uh, spoiler alert, it's all, it's all a gag. Spoiler alert, Annabelle's like, call an ambulance, but not for me. <laughs> and this rope goes through the window and starts wrapping around Nora's feet as the uh, lightning strikes. Uh, really a wonderful visual. Yeah. For for a a a cheapo film, it's a beautiful uh-huh. visual. Really, really love that shot. Um, she also sees Annabelle's corpse hanging at the top of the stairs where she was found earlier. Again, I, I don't. It's not explained how that was no. set up either. Uh, Nora then finds a piano playing all by itself, and really starts screaming after the piano. <laughs> Aroused by the ghostly sounds, Dr. Trent concludes that the killer is about and proposes he and Frederick split up to search the house. 
Dr. Trent instead meets with Annabelle, who had faked her death and using a hanging harness and sedatives. Mm-hmm. Secretly lovers, the two of them have orchestrated the various mishaps in order to manipulate Nora into killing Frederick. Nora, seeing Frederick enter the basement with a gun in his hand, does indeed shoot him. After she flees, Dr. Trent slips in in to dispose of Frederick's body in the vat of acid and the lights go out. Annabelle walks to the basement to confirm her husband is dead. A skeleton rises from the acid, accuses her in Frederick's voice and shoves her into the vat. Frederick emerges from the shadows, holding the puppeteer control unit that he used to manipulate the skeleton and revealing he had known their plot along. Um, yeah, the wires are pretty thick on this uh, skeleton oh, out there. Oh, it's great. I love it so much. It just adds to it. <laughs> it's it's very hokey. And I'm just surprised that Annabelle didn't see these very thick wires. <laughs> That's right. There's a reason that's uh, the gimmick William Castle chose. <laughs> yeah. To distract the audience with the flying skeleton in the cinema. Because yeah. she is literally like, <laughs> frozen in fear. <laughs> the skeleton is just like bobbing up and down. <laughs> like, um, like Pinocchio. Like, <laughs> um Nasty death for uh, Annabelle. I know, I know. But I suppose she was willing to get Nora locked up for murder and and stuff. So she wasn't a very nice woman, was she? She was a queen, but an an evil queen. After Nora, Watson and Ruth release Lance from the secret room. It's a bit pointless, that secret room, but anyway. Nora tells them that she shot Frederick. When they arrive in the cellar, Frederick explains that he loaded her gun with blanks, that his wife and Dr. Trent plotted to kill him, and that they both met their end in the vat of acid. He says that he is ready for justice to decide if he's innocent or guilty. Watson remains convinced the house is haunted. I don't know why. Why? why? Uh, With David, uh, David Trent? With Dr. Trent and Annabelle now added to its ranks of ghosts. And uh, he believes that he will be the next victim. Yes, and he ends the film saying, they're coming for me now. And then they're coming for you. <laughs> Breaking the fourth wall. Yeah. Um, it, it's strange that it's a horror film about a supposedly haunted house where one character throughout the whole film keeps going on about it being a haunted house <laughs> Everything is then. To it's almost like a like a murder mystery. Yeah, no, it is absolutely a murder mystery. Um, and that is what really makes it stand out. I mean, it's it, for years this has been hailed as you know one of the greatest haunted house films of all time, but it's not actually about a haunted house. It's not no. No, it's it's about double-crossing husband and wife. Yeah. It's Which is... An affair and, you know... It's one of those twists that goes on. Um, because the twist isn't the most memorable part of the film. The most memorable part of the film is the skeleton coming out of the vat of acid. Um, you know, the old lady. Things like that, you know, and things that stand out about the film. So I didn't know the twist watching it for the, when we watched it for the first time. Um, it's not like something like The Sixth Sense where it's common knowledge. Mm. So... It just stays fresh for years to come. You know, anyone can watch it and not get the twist. I suppose if you're watching a film for the first time and the twist is that 
what you've seen previous to that moment in the film isn't true mm. or isn't isn't what it was meant to be, you've still reacted to a horror yeah. film for that part of the film. Yeah. So for three quarters of the film, you have been watching a horror film. Mm-hmm. And then the big reveal is, actually, you haven't been watching a horror film. Yeah. It's a, a murder, you know, a murder plot yeah. film. Which um, is why I like that they left that idea out for the remake. Yeah. Uh, which I will get to now. Yes. 1999. The opening credits are very 1999, but the score absolutely slaps. Yeah, the organs. Good, and... Yeah, this is a good score. Yeah. In 1931, the patients at the Vanaku Psychiatric Institute for the Criminally Insane revolt against the staff headed by the sadistic Dr. Richard B. Vanacoot. Jeffrey fucking Combs. Just. Yeah, he's not. Usually, Jeffrey Combs is just chewing up the scenery. He's just pulling really serious faces here <laughs> when, when you can see his face. Um, yeah, so in this sequel, the characters don't get a backstory. Sequel? That sequel, remake. The characters don't get a backstory. No. The house, the house gets a backstory. <laughs> yeah, this is very remake. This is very, very quintessential remake. You got your backstory from the get-go uh, of the house. You know it's not going to be a murder mystery this time. Because this is why the house is haunted. Uh, the patients start a fire which engulfs the building, killing off all the inmates and all but five of Vanakut's staff. Uh, we get some great practical effects in this opening scene uh, with some kills and whatnot. And you, it's already a thousand times more graphic and violent than yeah. a film where the most gory thing is the imagination when Annabelle goes into the acid. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, the Pencils to the Neck yeah. is the one that I really remembered from when I was younger. Yeah, it's good. And if, you, you know, if you're you not going to go for the subtlety of the original, you want to do your own thing whilst you know, paying homage to the original, then you might as well go all out. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what this does. Uh, in 1999, Evelyn Stuckard Price is uh, in a bath <laughs> watching uh, Peter... Why have I forgot? Peter Graves... Uh, Peter Graves, yeah. yeah. Um, on his... Uh, what's What show is that ripping off? Um, Unsolved Mysteries. Unsolved Mysteries. It's absolutely Unsolved Mysteries. Uh, telling us of the story of uh, Dr. Vanacoot and so on. Uh, she's in a uh, disintegrated marriage with Stephen Price, an amusement park mogul who is introduced whilst giving a camp press conference, uh, press interview for his new roller coaster. With none other than Lisa Loeb and Spike from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. The moment I realised <laughs> this was Lisa Loeb, I lost my shit. I <laughs> love Lisa Loeb. Um, she is quintessential late 90s um, queen. Yes, yeah. She's a queen. I fucking love her music. Um, and I can't believe she was in the House on Haunted Hill remake. Yeah. Um, it's a really great sequence. Uh, I thought it was great. A really good introduction, uh, to Stephen Price and Jeffrey Rush. Um, I mean, Lisa Loeb and Spike from Buffy on the roller coaster whilst Sweet Dreams Are Made of These by Marilyn Manson plays. <laughs> yeah. Can you get any more 90s than that? Exactly. Uh, 
At uh, at Evelyn's insistence, Price stages her birthday party at the long-abandoned hospital. The building's owner, Watson Pritchett, very slight change there, uh, is convinced it is evil, having lived there as a child when it was converted to a private residence. Five guests arrive for the party. Film producer Jennifer Jensen, baseball player Eddie Baker, former television personality Melissa Ma, celebrity, with her brick of a camcorder, uh, Donald Blackburn, a physician, and Pritchett himself. The guests are not the ones Price invited, and neither of the Prices know who they are. Oh. Despite this, Price continues the party's advertised theme, offering $1 million to each guest who remains in the house until morning. Uh, those who flee forfeit their $1 million. Come on, inflation. I know, I'm yeah. Yes. <laughs> the building's security system is mysteriously tripped, locking everyone inside. A stunt which Price blames on Evelyn. Jennifer, Eddie and Pritchett search the basement for the control panel. Whilst exploring the labyrinth basement, Jennifer confesses to Eddie that her real name is Sarah Wolf. I can't believe I missed that. <laughs> yeah. Did you not, like, notice that she went from being called Jennifer to being called Sarah? I didn't really take that much notice. I'm terrible <laughs> with names in films. I forget them, so... Yes, she's the recently fired assistant to the real Jennifer. Oh! She impersonated her, opening to win the prize money. Oh, yes, I do remember that part. Oh, uh, yeah. Shortly after, Sarah is nearly drowned in a tank of blood by a ghost impersonating Eddie. But the real Eddie arrives in time to save her. Oh, my God. Also, this is massively... Uh, this film has given me ghost ship. Ghost ship? This has absolutely given me ghost ship. And I think... I don't think I'm wrong... But I believe Ghost Ship may have been Dark Castle. Probably. Dark Castle Entertainment, Ghost Ship. Yeah. It was indeed. So are they all just very similar films? The style, yeah. They all look like new metal music videos. Oh my god, they all... Yeah, this absolutely looks like <laughs> oh my god, new metal. Yes. House on Haunted Hill, 13 Ghosts, Ghost Ship, Gothica... House of Wax, Return to House on Haunted Hill, The Hills Run Red, Orphan, yeah, absolutely. The Losers, uh, a comic book film, very similar again in that sort of style. They're still making films, uh, they released Seance last year, and they are releasing Orphan First Kill this year, which I'm very excited for. Have you seen Orphan? No. Okay, you need to watch that, it's a very good film. Um, but yeah, no, that Dark Castle style really stands out. Gothica as well is absolutely just like this. Is style. it really? Yeah. Is Gothica good? <laughs> is it not? Oh, Halle Berry. <laughs> That's all I'll say. It's not very good. Um, so yeah, Melissa subsequently disappears, leaving behind a massive trail of blood. Uh, Price visits his assistant, Schechter who is supposed to be managing the party stunts, but finds him horribly mutilated. And... Like, really that. horribly mutilated, <laughs> next to a blockbuster... Yes. <laughs> ...tape. Yeah, it's like, his entire face has been taken out. Yeah, it's like it's been bitten, or, or like, um... Uh, scooped mm-hmm. out. Uh, and a surveillance monitor sees the ghost of Dr. Vanaku walking around with a bloody sore. Looking like he's doing some sort of robot dance as he's walking. Evelyn seemingly dies in front of the others, strapped to an electroshock therapy table. 
Price pulls a gun on the gas, demanding to know who killed his wife. Eddie knocks him out and they lock Price in the saturation chamber. Uh, a device that Vanacute used to treat schizophrenics. Because 1999. Uh, Blackburn volunteers to guard Price. Well, that was 1930s, so yeah. he used it. Uh, well, yeah, but included in the film in 1999. <laughs> When the others leave, uh, he turns the chamber on, leaving Price to be tortured by the moving images and ghostly hallucinations. Uh, in Vanacute's office, uh, do you know what? that scene has absolutely given me um, Vincent Price's acid trip from the Tingler. I hope that's what they were going for. I hope so. Uh, in Vanacute's office, Sarah and Eddie find a portrait of the hospital's head staff and realise that the party guests are descendants of the five survivors. Of the 1931 fire. <gasps> Can you name a more 1999 twist? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> um, Pritchett uh, knew that the spirits themselves hacked the guest list on Price's computer. Did they? Yes, they did. Um, the only exception is Blackburn, whose name does not appear amongst the staff. Blackburn is revealed as Evelyn's lover. They have faked Evelyn's death, plotting to frame Price for the murders, hoping one of the guests will kill him off in self-defence. So that element of the original is there. Yes. But in an actual haunted house. Yeah. See, that's... Yeah. For good or for bad, that's sort of what happens. (laughs) Evelyn heartlessly kills Blackburn, adding another victim, uh, then releases a delirious Price from the chamber. Sarah finds Price covered in blood and with Blackburn's severed head nearby and shoots him. Eddie and Pritchard, uh, Pritchett arrive and bring Sarah upstairs, after which Evelyn approaches Price to gloat. Price, protected by a bulletproof vest and posing as dead, attacks Evelyn. As they scuffle, Evelyn is sadly thrown through a decaying door, revealing the evil core of the house, the darkness. No, not Justin Hawkins oh, in his uh, revealing suit bit too early for that the shape-shifting creature composed of the spirits in the house consumes evelyn adding her spirit to its mass the price then discovers melissa's body and shortly after pritchett is also killed by the darkness allowing price to flee price tells sarah and eddie that the only escape is through the attic the darkness sweeps through the house in all its cgi glory following them uh price opens a window in the attic and <laughs> Does he hope they're just that it's just gonna fly out? <laughs> Open a window, it'll go. <laughs> like the Irish family that had the bat in their kitchen. Yeah. Uh, and then sacrifices himself to give others time to escape. It's a shame that the CGI is introduced because the practical effects up until that point were actually really good. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose they couldn't do what they wanted to do. No. With the ghosts in the house using practical effects, really. Yeah. I mean, I mean, in terms of gore, it works, but I don't, I don't, I think it would have looked really hokey if they would have done it. Yeah, thankfully anyway. it works better than the uh, haunting CGI. Yeah, the CGI, just I mean, it's CGI in 1999, and it looks like CGI in 1999. Yeah. Uh, Sarah gets out, the darkness closes an iron gate, trapping Eddie. As the darkness prepares to uh, kill Eddie... Eddie reveals he is adopted and not a true descendant of the original staff. And the ghost like, oh, shit. <laughs> what are we going to do now? <laughs> Pritchett's ghost appears and opens the iron gate. The darkness is distracted by Pritchett long enough for Eddie to escape. 
Pritchett's Ghost in the Darkness fade away as Sarah and Eddie watch the sun rise. They find an envelope on the ledge containing all five checks made out to cash. Ooh. And in a post credit scene, a black and white film is shown depicting the spirits of the 1931 patients torturing the prices for eternity. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is honestly... Not as bad as its IMDb rating will make you believe. It's it's a lot of fun. It's better than I remembered. It's it is fun. It is fun. It's it's not a terrible film, and there are elements to it that are great, but it does fall into the trap that remakes at the time fell into. Yeah, is that it? It tries too much. Yeah. So we get a backstory for the house. Um, okay, cool. Yeah. Then we get the story from the original, which Mm -hmm. is stay over in this supposedly haunted house overnight. I'll give you a million. The bickering couple, Mm -hmm. the, um, you know, the, the double bluff, um... You know, she's having an affair and he knew about it, so yeah. he wore the bulletproof vest and, you know, and that. And then you have the fact that the house is actually haunted and the fact that because it's for a modern audience, you have to have death scenes and you have to have gore. Yeah. So it just becomes a little too much. That mixed with the many scenes of people walking through the house that seemed to go on for so long. Yes. It could have been a little shorter. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it is absolutely watchable. And if you have that 90s nostalgia, there's a good chance you're going to really enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. If if It's one of those films that you kind of know going into it if it's your kind of thing or not. Yeah. Um... I think it just over um, overcomplicates a very simple premise, mm-hmm. um, which you know just didn't work for me. But there were many elements that really did work. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll get into those. So that brings us to cinematography, scares, and soundtrack. Nineteen fifty nine. Um, for me. This is some of the best cinematography I've seen in a haunted house film, uh, with the only thing to outdo it being the original The Haunting. Yes. I mean, considering, I mean, technically, or, you know, on paper, a haunted house film, uh, I'm saying that in regards to. Um, but with the, you know, the, the fantastic gothic set designs, uh, the amazing use of shadows, it, it's just quintessential October viewing isn't it it's uh, that classic scary movie feeling to it it's what it's what and it's not a stereotype it's not a cliche because it invented a lot yeah you know um it was one of the early proprietors of you know that sort of haunted house gimmicky thing Mm -hmm. um but it's what everybody thinks of yeah when they think haunted house it's, you know, like I said, Scooby-Doo. Yeah. It's that kind of quintessential cinematography, B-movie, haunted house mm-hmm. film. Um, and it's it suits its purpose perfectly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
yeah, uh, I mean the old lady on skates again is is a terrifying imagery, um, and then you know you got that side of things where the uh, Annabelle outside the window thing, you know those sort of things add some real genuine scares to it. But then you have stuff like the skeleton scene with the big strings where it just adds to the cheesy charm of it. Yeah, yeah. Let's you know let's be clear. This is over sixty years old. Yeah. And, like I said earlier, I can imagine a cinema audience in 1959 absolutely going crazy yeah. over these scares. Yeah, you know, and we've become maybe a little desensitised to it. Um, but that is, that um, old woman, really creepy. Yeah. And the soundtrack, I think it's incredible. I mean, it's... It's got that sort of haunted house feeling to it, that eerie haunted house feeling. But also, there's elements of a murder mystery soundtrack thrown in there, which, you know, kind of felt like a bit of a hint when, when re-watching it. Um, because there's so many moments before we know the twist where it's like, okay, this sounds like the sort of soundtrack you'd hear in a murder mystery film. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I do really like the soundtrack. Very on brand. Very 1959. Yeah. You know, again... You know, it fits its purpose. Uh, it fits its purpose perfectly. Nineteen ninety nine. Uh, the cinematography is absolutely trying its best to look atmospheric. Um, it's just a shame that it, it's got that. You know, similar to every other horror film released around that time, especially from Dark Castle, uh, sort of new metal feeling to it. It's a Marilyn Manson music yeah. video. Absolutely. Yeah. I will give credit where it's due. I didn't think it was too dark. No, no, it wasn't. That is one thing, and it's it's something that really irks me with a lot of films, is when they just go too dark and you can't see what's going on. Yeah, yeah. Um, it didn't actually do that, which no. I was, you know, pro- you know, well done to them for not doing that, because it's an easy way out, really... Um, it is. Cinematography-wise, yeah. that a lot of uh, horror films at the time fell into. Uh, some of the ghosts looked like the Carnival of Souls remake things in morph suits. They did, yeah, they did. <laughs> uh, there's some brilliant practical effects, but again, you know, the CGI is just of its time. Um, it, it, you know, it, it, I'm sure that would have looked great in 1999, but from a modern perspective, it just doesn't hold up uh, as well as it could. Um, yeah, yeah, gore, gore, gore doesn't mean scare, scare, scare. No, I mean, the set designs are great. I really yeah. like the house. I think it looks fantastic. The house was very re- reminiscent of the Haunting yeah. remake as well. Yeah, they just did, did better things of it. <laughs> they did, yes, that's true. Uh, I mean, uh, as far as Jeffrey Combs being a scary villain goes, he, you know, he does look like a bit of a twat. <laughs> that's the uh, twitchy robot walking doctor guy you yeah, kind of <laughs> i suppose i suppose he was meant to be the scariest yeah. element um just jeffrey combs how can you yeah but and it didn't <laughs> it, it didn't really do much it wasn't because the the you thought he was the threat and he was yeah. going around killing people but then the end it was cgi ghosts yeah doing it all so it wasn't really i thought it was just going to turn into a slasher film but it wasn't really that either no. Soundtrack, again, I can't really fault this soundtrack. Uh, the main theme is fantastic. Uh, I mean, 
uh, I'm, I'm sure Marilyn Manson's cancelled by this point, but still, hearing his version of Sweet Dreams in his film, not exactly a Marilyn Manson fan, but it's kind of like, oh my god, yeah, this gives me that 90s charming nostalgia feeling that I want from this Ab- film. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, of course, it would later be used in Trick or Treat as well, and it had the same same sort of feeling in that. Um, and, and again, this organ score is just quintessential Haunted House film from the 50s, and I like that they added that element in, considering everything else is so modern. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, I mean... Gonna give it all to 1959 because, you know, this didn't just inspire everything that this 1999 film is remaking, but it inspired so many other films as well. And like you said, it created so many tropes that are so familiar these days. Um, you know, 1999 gives it a good shot with all of its stuff, uh, but that old school feeling just edges it over for me. Yeah, yeah, it's... See, 1999's quite early with the whole re- horror remake yeah. thing. Um, it's probably the first big one, really. Yeah, yeah, probably. Um, but I just... The, the style of it, I've just, I feel like I've seen it a thousand times now. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't... It didn't really suit the purpose. No, and in, you know, very much in the same way we've said about the original, I'm sure the style of this film went on to inspire uh, films similar to this after. Yeah. Um, but the 1959 style just works better. Yeah, it does. Yes. Uh, moving on to characters, we have Frederick Loren and Stephen Price, played by Vincent Price in 1959 and Jeffrey Rush in 1999. So Vincent Price, giving us his best Vincent Price. <laughs> yeah. This is quintessential Vincent Price. Just charming, charismatic, suspicious, creepy, camp, everything that yeah. Vincent Price stands for is in his role in this film. This, I said, this I would probably say is um, the role he's most famous for. I'd say so. I would, yeah, I would say so. Um, definitely on brand for him. Uh, plays it wonderfully. Yeah. As only Vincent Price can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which isn't necessarily a disservice to Jeffrey Rush. No. Who is also a fantastic actor. Um, I believe this film came out after he won the Oscar, if I remember correctly, for Shine. Okay. Um... I, I do believe, yeah, yeah, he won the Oscar in 97 for, for Shine. Um, and he's a, he's a wonderful actor um, doing a Vincent Price impression and loving it. Wow. I mean, he's, he's playing John Waters, playing Vincent Price. Yeah, and he's having fun with it. And <laughs> yeah. you can see he's having fun with it. You can see he's someone who can do, the, you know, the Oscar-nominated, Oscar-worthy roles... Um, he's gone into this film, he knows exactly what this film is. Yeah. He knows exactly what he needs to do for this film and does it perfectly. Yeah. Really. Um, but it is essentially an impression of Vincent Price, you know, and you, and you, you can't beat the original in my opinion. Yeah. I mean... It's it's a it's a close one because Jeffrey Rush really is so good in this film. Mm. Um, you know he he really does bring that camp value, and that's not the easiest to find in 
a film with this style. You yeah. know that that modern that modern style um, that this brought upon the horror genre. You know, it removed because that style took a lot away from what camp value could be found. So the fact that he stood out with that camp value in this film is is really impressive. Um, but yeah, Vincent Price is iconic in the original. Um, so Vincent Price is our winner. Annabelle Loren uh, slash Evelyn Stockard Price. Played in 1959 by Carol Omart and 1999 by Famke Janssen. I mean, oh, God, this is, this might be a tie. <laughs> this is this is a difficult, difficult. one. Um, the role itself is probably more fleshed out in the remake. Yeah. Um, she, well, she um, just sort of kills her lover. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not hundred percent sure why she does that. It's never really explained. Um, in terms of performance, they both give a great, great performance. Oh, they're both again. You know, we said about Jeffrey Russian being camp. Both of these queens are so so camp. Amazing costumes. Um, I mean, they enter rooms like they're about to go on a runway. Just the dialogue, the line delivery. I mean. Fanky Anson, her portrayal, uh, not betrayal, portrayal, um, she's an absolute super slut and she's proud of it and takes no shit. Like, there's literally a scene where she's like, yeah, I'll fuck whoever I want. And, you know, she she understands the assignment. Yes. They both do. They, they yeah, really they do. do. I mean, I feel like Carol Omart, that may have been her go-to for a performance in 1959 anyway, because it's very classic Hollywood. It's very... You know, camp actresses uh, trying to give a great performance at that time. They, it always comes across as very camp. Um, whereas Famke Janssen, you know, I she really, you could tell she's trying to give that camp performance and succeeding. Yeah, and she she plays probably more of a villainess than in the original. Yeah. Um, because I mean, she resorts to murder. Yeah. So she she has a little more to work with. Yeah. Um. So which makes the performance a little more fleshed out, mm. and uh, it's difficult because they both do so well. But in terms of the role, potentially the remake gets it. Potentially, but I mean, Carol Emma is just again iconic in that role. She's given me Barbara Stanwyck and you know I love Barbara Stanwyck. Yeah, I mean, it's, it doesn't happen often but I think we may have to give this one as a tie. Yeah, go on then. It's our rules anyway. <laughs> it's our rules. <laughs> Does um, now on to the party guests. There's really not a lot to say about all of these. I'll start off with the one we have the most to say about. Uh, Watson Pritchard and Watson Pritchett. Uh, 1959 Alicia Cook Jr. And 1999 Chris Catton. Realistically, 1959, Clint Howard before his time. 1999, budget Rick Moranis. <laughs> um, in both films, fucking annoying. Yeah, and, and they just they just remind me of, of actors. I mean... <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean... Yeah, the original one, he's just there to be superstitious. Uh, he knows what's going on, apparently. Um, I mean, he does, he does a good job of it. He's annoying. Uh, I feel like that's the intention. I feel like Chris Catton was more annoying and had less of a charm. He was ju- just annoying. My my thing is, 
I have to give points to the the remake, uh, Pritchett. Yeah. Um, because he was actually right. Yeah. So credit where it's due, he was actually correct. Yeah. Um, and he does save um the guy at the end, doesn't he? Does he? as a ghost, he, he saves does. him. <laughs> ah. Whereas all. Fucking Pritchard does in the original was just fucking go on and it's on true. and on. It's like mate, and then he's he's like, well, this is my house and it's haunted and we're all gonna die. Like, why are you there then, bitch? Why did you allow this to happen? Why don't you just sell the house years ago? I think uh, it goes without saying we'll be giving that one to the remake, yeah. Chris Catton. Um, <laughs> No, in terms of performance, I mean, I think the original is better, but in terms of the character, fucking hell. Yeah. You have got on my nerves. Nora Manning slash Sarah Wolf, uh, 1959 Carolyn Craig, and 1999 Ali Lata. I mean, uh, for the same reason that uh, Annabelle and uh, Famke Janssen was difficult, this is difficult for the opposite reason because, I mean, one of them just spends all of the time whinging and screaming and the other one just gives a really bland performance. Yeah, Ali Lata, bless her, she, she does struggle in the film. Yeah. Um, the performance is better in the original, um, but that character... I suppose that's the point. Yeah. So the character in the original, Nora... The point is that she's a bit of a mess. Mm. She's on edge. You know, she's having a tough time at home. She's desperate for this money. Um, they're all... She, you know, she's the one getting picked on. No one else gets yeah, any of this. True. Um, she's the one getting picked on. So she probably is going to be screaming and, and you know... Um, holler, hollering a lot. Mm. Um, so it, it's understandable. It, I suppose you have to have that one character. Yeah. <laughs> so, you I know. mean, OG Scream, go- Scream Queen, would you say? Well, was she in anything else? Not sure, actually. Um, She's but definitely I mean, a screamer. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Um, so I, I do think I would give it to the original. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, the, Ali Lata's character, Sarah, I suppose she, she's a little more interesting because she, a little more feisty. Yeah. She, um, she can look after herself. Yes. And that, to me, inherently makes her a more interesting representation of women in horror because oh, yeah. you, you, you don't always get yeah that. definitely um so i appreciated that um but that performance yeah carolyn craig who definitely gave the better performance <laughs> out of the two uh, lance schroeder uh slash eddie baker richard long in 1959 and tay diggs in 1999 <sighs> he was really in the original richard he kind of just plays a love interest, yeah, really. He's really. Just, he's just the handsome guy to have a little flirt with Nora. Yeah, he does exactly what he needs to do. He doesn't really... Uh, when he... I thought, I assumed he was going to be 
the all-American hero mm. at the end. Um, but he just sort of went through the wrong door. And yeah. Got yeah. <laughs> it kind of didn't happen. Yeah, um, I mean, this is where we're entering the characters that aren't quite as interesting as everyone else. Yeah. Um, don't have as much to do. I mean, yeah, you would think he'd be the main character in any other film. Um, but no, he, he is a bit of an idiot. Tay Diggs is, uh, again, likeable and does what he needs to do, the same as Richard Long, but he has a bit more to do. He's less clumsy. Yeah. Um, and despite Ali Lata's shaky performance, I thought the chemistry between the two of them was quite good. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it and it was interesting in 1999 to see uh, Tay Diggs a black actor mm, make it to the end make it to the end but be front he's front and centre yeah, on yeah. the poster yeah. um, he you know it, it's a horror film so it's not going to be the most fleshed out character no um, but he has a real likability he you know pretty much saves the day and yeah. the end. he he's he's the sort of action hero mm-hmm. at the end that yeah. Richard wasn't in the original. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't necessary in the original, but, um, yeah, I would probably give it to Tay Diggs on, yeah, on that I agree. one. I agree. Yeah. Ruth Bridges and Melissa Mars, Celebrity. Um, <laughs> 1959, Julie Mitchum and 1999, Bridget Wilson, Sampras. Um, it's just, a waste of a character in both instances, I think. It's a strange one because it's like, why is she there? In both, yeah. it, in in for for the remake, it's more understandable because, you know, you you got to get the body count up. Yeah. You got to have a first victim. She's the first victim. She's the first one mm-hmm. murdered. But in the original. She just, she's just kind of there. Yeah. And what she gets a bit of blood on her hand twice. Yeah, which you know, obviously, um, that asshole that goes around telling everyone about the ghosts, like, oh, you're marked, you're yeah. marked. <laughs> uh, I mean, and that added something a little more interesting to her, I suppose, when you didn't know that. But that could have been mystery. any other character. Yeah, really. Really, yeah. Mm. I just, I, it kind of. If there's any fault with the original, it's kind of this character. Because yeah. What was the point? Yeah. You know, if you you're gonna get this uh, actress to come and play a part, she, she hasn't really got a part to play. Right. She just sort of hangs around a bit. Um, <laughs> could give it to either really. It doesn't really matter. You could. <laughs> you could really. It, it doesn't matter. But who are you gonna give it to? Um, I suppose I would give it to uh, Bridget Wilson Sampras because I yeah. like Bridget Wilson Sampras. And um, she was Helen Shivers' sister in uh, Anomaly last summer. Finally, we have Dr. David Trent and Donald Blackburn, MD. Uh, 1959, Alan Marshall, and 1999, Peter Gallagher. This is interesting because neither do much until they become a big part of the plot. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And then in Peter Gallagher's part, didn't last very long. No, no. <laughs> he doesn't do very much, and then he gets killed. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're just, I mean, they're not very exciting characters up until that point. 
Um, which I suppose works towards a twist. Because um, you don't expect it to be one of them. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, there's just not a lot to say about it. Them. It's it's a difficult one because th- these are essentially two films where character development doesn't really take place. No. And it isn't front and centre. In the remake, it's the house that gets the character yeah. developed, yeah. not the actual characters. I suppose we should have had uh, a comparison between the two houses, shouldn't we? Instead of the actors yeah. uh, and the characters. Um, it's, it's hard to say because they don't necessarily do a bad job. No. It's just not much of a job to discuss. Um, so I, I would give it to the original because yeah. um, of Sextet. Yes. Um, so our overall winner is the original House on Haunted Hill from 1959. Absolutely. Readily available for you to check out anywhere you want because it's in the public domain. It is. Won't cost you a penny. If you're a horror fan listening to this podcast, I would assume you've already seen it, maybe. If not, then we've ruined a twist for you, but go and check it out still. Uh, and check the remake, as, the remake out as well. If you like what we discuss on this podcast, you like 90s horror and whatnot, then you can't go wrong. Oh, yeah, watch both. Do a, do a little double bill, you know. Yeah, you, can't, just... you can't go wrong with that. Just, you know, two films that you can just sit and enjoy um, and you don't spend an hour and a half analysing because we've already done it for you. Exactly. Just don't watch Return to House and Haunt Neil. Don't waste your time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that brings us to our best and worst of the month. Best and worst new releases of the month, as I should say. Starting with best, it's Flea. It is Flea. Yeah. Uh, the recently Oscar-nominated uh, film for best foreign language picture, best documentary, and best animated film. Uh, it really deserves to take home all three. Yeah, yeah. Well, two, two, foreign language. Oh, I suppose, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but yeah, no, this is uh, phenomenal, and not at your big chain cinemas, unfortunately. Uh, we had to go and watch it at uh, an indie, a local indie cinema. I mean, I'm not complaining. I love it there. Um, but if you know. If you can find a way to watch this near you at the cinema, I highly recommend it. Because it is an important, bizarre at times, um, completely captivating, uh, captivating and compelling story that feels cinematic, but it's actually someone's real life story. Yeah, and that's where the animation comes into yeah. it. And it really allows you to feel part of the story in, in, in a, if you know what I yeah, mean yeah. it really um, draws you in because obviously this is a story about one individual and, and what it's a story that is true for many people but he's this is his story of his life yeah and it's quite a harrowing story and obviously there was no um video you know he wasn't filming any of no. what happened to him as a um a, 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 an asylum seeker a refugee mm-hmm. you know he wasn't filming any of this so what they've done and I, I don't know if any sort of documentary's done this before to this extent 
is that the whole film is animated. Yeah. And in those animations, the, the, the filmmakers can create these scenes visually mm-hmm. whilst it's being described. Yeah. So it really draws you in to the story. Yeah. Rather than having a one guy sit there and tell you his story, um, you you can see it and you can feel it. Yeah. And it, especially when he's talking about how his younger self, you see him as a child. Yeah. And you have that image of him as a child. And that's where the animation works. Because I, I don't... That wouldn't have worked if you had actors no, no. playing the role. Um, it's really re- fantastic. Really fantastic. Yeah. Um, really well made. Really well constructed. Um, really gets its point across. And I, I, I like these kind of films that tell an individual story. Um, rather than one grand sweeping, yeah. you know documentary on Af- Afghanistan and, and uh, uh, refugees from Afghanistan. It, it says a lot with this one guy's story. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And <laughs> our worst of the month, everyone's talking about it. The horror community is divided yet again. <laughs> And this time, we're not on the side of loving it. Mm. Like Halloween Cows and Malignum. This time, we fucking hate it. <laughs> it's the film no one can agree on. It's Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2022. Yeah, really, really bad. I, I just, I did not enjoy it. I've seen a lot of people saying, you know, you need to turn your brain off and have fun, blah, 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 blah. Uh, how, oh... If it was a uh, different decade, if it was a different decade, you'd love this film. No. Absolutely not. There is a difference. If there's a cheesy camp slasher film from the 80s with just some really good gore and nothing else going to it, then, you know, there's a lot of fun to be had with that. This isn't cheesy. It isn't camp. It's not fun. There's a lot of good gore. There's some good kills. I think Leatherface was great. But aside from that, the characters are so dumb and so insulting to the younger generation that it's trying to sell itself to that it's distracting. It's genuinely, you can overlook dumb characters in uh, in horror films, but these are some of the stupidest characters I've seen on screen. It's just, and don't even get me started on Sally. Uh, yeah. I hope you credited David Gordon Green as a writer for this film because the rip-off of Halloween is just embarrassing to watch. They, they use the same dialogue. Yeah, yeah. It's very much um, a rip-off of Halloween 2018 in that regard. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't work. No. For me, the biggest issue with that is that if it's not Marilyn Burns, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Because we haven't we haven't seen this character since the original. Um, it just doesn't 
work if it's not the same actress. No. Um, because it feels, it just feels like a completely different, because so much time has happened in between. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, Marilyn Burns is no longer with us. Yeah. Um, it just felt like it was a completely different character yeah. to who we saw in 1974. Yeah, absolutely. It just d- didn't feel the same. No, no. Because it, it, there were no sort of, there was no connection huh. between the two. Um, also, I found pretty much all the characters highly unlikable. Yeah. Um, which meant nothing really meant anything. Nothing in the film meant anything. So it was just, you know, okay, I can I can switch off, and just enjoy a film. But I thought the characters were so unlikable that I couldn't switch off. Yeah. That I couldn't... I couldn't not think of how annoying these people were. Exactly. And and not in a I can't wait for them to get it kind of mm. way. And it was like, oh, shut up kind of way. Yeah. Um, yeah, the practical effects were good. The, yeah. The, the deaths were good. The gore was good. But, you know... There's lots of films I could put down and and what and put down. I can uh, sit down and watch that have great gore scenes and great character development and mean something and are enjoyable and I give five stars to. Exactly. So, you know, I expect more. Yeah, it, it didn't feel like... It didn't feel like the filmmakers had even watched the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It, it felt like they'd just read a Wikipedia article and... Just made it from that. No, because it didn't make any sense. No. The whole Leatherface thing didn't it didn't make any sense. No. No, it's it's just an absolute mess. The whole thing's an absolute mess. Really really, really bad. Do you know what the most shocking part is? What? Not even the worst Texas Chainsaw. Uh, wow, yeah. Film. I mean that's not difficult. The, the, if there is a franchise that has in no way lived up to its potential. <laughs> It's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, what I feel like, and I'm just my last word on it, what I actually feel like would have worked better is if we'd had a direct sequel to the remake. Yeah. And had Jessica Beale. Mm-hmm. I think that would have been interesting. Yeah. And if we still had Jessica Beale, that would have been your gag moment. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. She's, uh, the, uh, the actress who plays Mandy and Mandy is certainly no... Uh, no Jamie Lee Curtis issue. No, and she does a, she does her best with what she's given. <laughs> she's just <Does> she. <laughs> you try and make that work. That, that's I just felt sorry for her. I'm sorry. No, she she did do a bit bad job. Um, honorable mentions: Dark Victory. Yes, Betty Davis. Um, very sad. Betty very Davis sad. film. Berserk. Oh, Berserk, absolutely a future podcast podcast film, <laughs> definitely. Um, Joan Crawford running a circus yeah. with a killer on the loose. Come on now. The Eyes of Tammy Faye, documentary and film. Yeah, yeah. Because, um, this, I mean, I think anyone listening to this podcast would probably enjoy that sort of camp story. Yeah, yeah, the documentary was very good and Jessica Chastain was very good. Uh, the Virgin Suicides... Lost in Translation, 
We did do a Sophia, Sophia Coppola, Coppola yeah. Marie Antoinette mini marathon, didn't we? Yeah, somewhere. Pretty much great until <laughs> on the rocks. <laughs> on the rocks. Uh, the original Death on the Nile. Uh, Marry me. You didn't think you'd say that, did you, Gary? Well, I mean, I don't know. It's Jennifer Lopez, of course I did. Oh. I will. I will die on the hill that says Jennifer Lopez is one of the best rom-com actresses yeah. that we've got going. Who, who's got so much more potential than just rom-com films as well? I mean, we've yeah. all seen Hustlers. But she, uh, for me, she's one of the most likeable celebrities yeah. on and off the screen. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it works. It works for a film like Marry Me. I don't think that film would have worked with anyone else. No. All I Desire, Magnificent Obsession. Yep. Little Douglas Thirk double bell. Laura, as previously mentioned on this episode of Vincent Price, uh, really, really good film. Rancho Notorious. Yes. And Johnny Guitar, Camp Western double bill. Well, it was, it was a, um, uh, maybe lesbian classic Hollywood actresses wearing pants in a Western double bill. Um, Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy. Yeah, we love, 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 drive my car. Yeah. Um, and we got the opportunity to watch Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy from the same director. And, um, yeah, fantastic again. Love, 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 yeah. loved it. And I wouldn't normally recommend, I mean, just because I don't watch enough of them, uh, short films isn't something I normally bring up on the best and worst of the month, but uh, I would absolutely recommend that everyone watches Possibly in Michigan. And absolutely terrifying short film from the 80s directed by a woman yeah yeah um very strange it yeah. was very strange but really uh captivating really enthralling yeah. it's a horror musical it's literally 12 minutes long and it's on youtube so go and check it out yes and also at the tail end of january we did a marathon of some kurosawa films yes um, maybe a little late to the party on these ones. <laughs> Probably should have watched them I think so. much sooner. Uh, because I fucking loved it. Ikiru, uh, One Wonderful Sunday. I yeah. watched Rashomon for the second time. Loved that film. One of my favourites. High and Low mm-hmm. uh, was incredible. And Ran. Ran yeah. one of the... Most breathtaking films I've ever seen. Yeah. Just astonishing. Just the costume design deserves five stars. Absolutely. My lord. Um, what a genius. What an incredible director. Akira Kurosawa. I know it's a little off topic for the podcast, so we wouldn't do it on the podcast. No. But absolutely, I would recommend his films to anyone. Uh, it's me talking as if he's a little cult director. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you can find any of his films, go out and watch The guy them. who basically wrote Star Wars. Yeah. You know. uh, and we also saw at the cinema a new anime film, yeah. Sing a Bit of Harmony. Really enjoyed that yeah, one definitely. as well. We don't, we don't think we've watched enough anime, um, particularly modern anime no, as no. well. So it was really nice to see that at the cinema. Overall, that's a we had a pretty fucking good moment. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, we'd finally watch any bad films. Yeah. Other than for the podcast. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 
so yeah, that's this month's original versus remake episode. Get us on the socials with I'm Dead at Gaz92 on Letterboxd, Gazmo205 on Instagram and GazCruise92 on Twitter. I'm Chris Barker823 on Instagram, Twitter and Letterboxd. Rate review and subscribe on iTunes, like and follow on everything else, give us a rating on Spotify. And next month for Original versus Remake, we will be back with, as promised, a few episodes back, we'll be back with Child's Play. Ooh. Yes. Controversial. <laughs> yeah. For a lot, a, a lot of people. I, I don't know why, because, I mean, both are great. Uh, and... Sadly, we've had to postpone Tuesday's Razorblade Smile episode, but it's still happening. It's happening the week after, and Xander will be back as a guest. But, to keep it going in the meantime, we'll be discussing the cult classic with Linda Blair that is Savage Streets. Yes. I mean... If that doesn't make up for a delayed episode, then I don't know what does. Oh, I, I, I will say this now, because we, we've seen the film many times before. Um, if you can watch it before our podcast episode, watch it. Yes. It is cult classic brilliant. It is on YouTube in full if anyone wants to watch it. But... And uh, you've got a, a few days to do that. And we'll see you on Tuesday. Bye.